super thankful for Brian Loney being with us last week. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, Brian was a tenured professor at University of Florida. Oh, excuse me, Florida State. Did I say University of Florida? Don't tell him I said that. Uh, at Florida State, I know. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. I'm glad somebody understands the, the, the offense that I just made. Uh, and I remember when he came up, and I thought to myself, good night. Who is this that God has brought into our midst? And he is an absolute joy. Um, I've loved getting to be with him. And we study together on, you know, most weeks we're together um, looking over these texts. We are together in the book of Acts. Um, we've been laughing about the definition of this, and last week's sermon on Pentecost helps you a little bit. If you turned one page over from 9-10, you would see the title of Acts as the Acts of the Apostles. But anybody who has studied the Scriptures go, man, there's so much more going on here. And kind of the way that scholars love to laugh about it is the Acts of Jesus from heaven through the Apostles by the power of the Holy Spirit. And last week we saw... At Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, this time of festival, this time of the abundance that God has given His people, that at this time, Jesus chose to pour out His Holy Spirit. Brian broke up last week's sermon on, on, on um, Acts 2, 1-14, into what, into why, right? And so you can go back and listen to that next week. He talked about what happened, and it was the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. We talked about the consistency of the Holy Spirit's work from Genesis to the end of Revelation. That the Holy Spirit is even the one whom we understand to be hovering above the chaos in Genesis 1. Um, that it's not as if the Holy Spirit hadn't been at work in this world throughout the Old Testament. The consistent work of the Holy Spirit. And so the question is, what's new? And what is new is that never before the time when Jesus had ascended to, from, he, from earth into heaven and had been seated at the right hand of the Father, was He in reality and power declared to be Lord and King. And from there, He sends His Spirit. The Spirit of the risen and the reigning King to be among His people. The power that was unleashed. A new epic of redemptive history. The age of the Spirit. The age in which we live. The age that was inaugurated with Jesus' coming. You remember at His baptism, the Spirit of God descended upon Him. And as He sends the Spirit to us, we wait in his, until His return. And in this epic of time, it is the age of the Spirit. The gift of the Spirit poured out. And the question that's before us is what Brian... It's fun to have a guest preacher come and preach and then tell you what you're supposed to preach on the next week. Why? And thank goodness it's right here in front of us. Why was the Holy Spirit poured out? And I want to say that the Holy Spirit was poured out. That we, the church, would be empowered to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. So I want to show you two things. In this passage, I want to show you the content of that proclamation. All right, and that's going to be in the sermon that Mita just read. And you say, Look, she just read a whole sermon. Why do we have to have another sermon? <laughs> and most folks who read this would say, Hey, look, Luke took really good notes of Peter's sermon. But even verse 40, look at verse 40. Even verse 40 says that Peter said, With many more words and many other things, he admonished the people. So this wasn't all that the folks got. And it's not all that you're going to get. Praise God. Well, maybe praise God for me, maybe not for you. But that in the midst of this, we have the content 
of this proclamation. But I also want you to see that the takeaway is why such great power given in the Holy Spirit. Why such great power? So those are the two things that we're going to look at. I grew up outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee on a lake and on the edge of that lake was Sequoia Nuclear Power Plant. Children, I don't know if you've ever seen these nuclear power plants. They are tremendous. They are con concrete structures that are really, really wide, a circle at the base, and they come into a really thin spot in the middle, and then they go equally as wide again. At least that's what it looks like. And from them is a plume of steam rising constantly, usually near water to cool off the reactors because in this nuclear power plant, more power and electricity is generated than we really know how to control. Now, a lot of your moms and dads have studied this stuff and, and they understand a lot more about it than I do, but I remember as a kid, whether I was skiing or camping or being around that power plant, I remember it always being present, knowing that the magnitude of power that is there was next to uncontrollable. So much so that in the neighborhoods that surrounded us, depending on the, the, the population density, there were horns that if there was ever a problem with the reactor, these horns would go off and you were supposed to run for the hills because you had no idea what would happen if that kind of power were released. And I want you to see that that nuclear power pales in comparison, pales to the power that's unleashed when the Spirit comes. But the first thing that I want you to see as you hold that vision in mind, this immense power, is I want you to see the content, the content of this proclamation. Now look, the verses for this are verses 22, 23, 24, and then we're going to jump to 32, okay? That's the content. I want you to see that the content of the proclamation, the reason that the Spirit was given, that we would be empowered to proclaim, the content of it is actually pretty Simple, isn't it? It's this. It's the life of Jesus Christ. It's the death of Jesus Christ. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is the exaltation or the glorification of Jesus Christ seated at the right hand of the Father. That's the content, and that's what we're going to look at. But look at the way this begins in verse 14. Peter is there standing with the eleven, and you know what's just happened. You saw it last week. The Holy Spirit was poured out. And among other things, one of the resulting impacts of that is that all the people on whom the Holy Spirit was poured out spoke in other languages that they would have not otherwise known so that all of the Jews who had been dispersed after all the known world at that time would have heard the saving work of God in their own language. And if you can believe that that wouldn't be enough to change your heart or to change mine, all you have to do is read verses 12 and 13 that precede it. All were amazed and perplexed, and they said to one another, what does this mean? But others mocked them and said they're filled with new wine. He said they're drunk. This is ridiculous. They thought this is stupid. And so Peter responds to that. He stands up with them and he says, Men of Judea, all you who dwell in Jerusalem, let it be known to you. Give ear. These people aren't drunk. He says it's only the third hour. That just means it's 9 o'clock in the morning. He said, look, these people aren't drunk. 
I want you to understand that what's happening to them is what had been prophesied before by the, apostle, by the prophet Joel in the Old Testament. Remember, he's speaking to Israel. And so they knew their Old Testament. To you and me, a lot of times the Old Testament is new. I bet you if I gave most of you like 90 seconds, you couldn't find Joel. It's tiny. It's hidden among the minor prophets in the Old Testament. Page 760, if you want to go to it later. Go to it later. You ought to read the prophet Joel. It's a really good book. It's a book that's timeless. We don't really know when it was written. We, we, we think it might have been written after the destruction of Israel because Israel's not, recommend, or not even noted in the book of Joel. The temple is noted. So maybe it was before the temple was destroyed in, 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 in Jerusalem, before they were sent off into the Babylonian captivity, or maybe it was written after they came back. But the context of Joel is one in which a swarm of locusts had come and destroyed all the cop, crops. And the prophet Joel said, look, you need to pay attention. This discipline that God brings is to remind you that one day there's going to be a day of the Lord and there's going to be reckoning. And Joel says of that day that God is going to be merciful to all who cry out to him. And then... Peter reads this section of Joel from Joel 2. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapors of smoke. If you were an Israelite, if you were a Jew who knew the Old Testament, you would say these are signs of the end times when, when God is going to come and set everything right again. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and the magnificent day, and then the height of the quote Right here, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter says, what you just witnessed, the pouring out of the Spirit, was predicted by the prophet Joel, and that's what's happening here. And then comes the sermon. These four points, listen to them. Men of Israel, hear these words. Point number one, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God, with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. The very first content of our proclamation is to be the same as the content here. Jesus, the historical Jesus, Jesus with a body, flesh and blood, Jesus, the man who was attested to these witnesses by mighty works and wonders and signs from God, this Jesus is the core of our proclamation. The necessity of a historical Jesus. I've been listening to a lot of sermons. One of my New Year's resolutions is to listen to sermons, more sermons than I can take. And you go, why do you do that? And I say to you, because the same reason that you grow is the same way I grow. We grow by hearing the word of God preached. And you go, that seems foolish to me. Well, the Apostle Paul said it was foolish too. You know, and it's even crazier that I get to grow as I preach to you God's Word. But one sermon, this guy named Carson spoke, and he talked about the other world religions. He said, you know, if it were somehow determined that the Buddha never lived, you know, Buddhism would go on. 
If you lost multitudes of the Hindu gods, Hinduism would still go on. The principles are the same. And even, if you can imagine, if the Prophet Muhammad had never written about Allah, and, and yet, without the Prophet Muhammad, somehow that communication about Islam were to be communicated, Islam could go on. But the point is this, that without Jesus, the historical person of Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, the man attested to these witnesses by mighty works and wonders and signs from God, without Christ, Christianity has nothing. Nothing. Christianity has nothing. Jesus is everything. And so the content of our proclamation has to start off with Jesus and His life. Look, if you're a man or a woman in this group, you should either be going to the men's Bible study or the women's Bible study right now. Why? Because we're looking at the Gospel of Luke. We're looking at Jesus' life. We are studying the signs and the wonders and the mighty works that attested to who Jesus is while He walked on this earth as the Son of God. Jesus is central to our proclamation. Not just Jesus alive, but Jesus crucified. Read verse 23 with me. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now that's, that's a big phrase. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. He's talking to the Jews who were present at that time. The lawless men were more than likely would have been the Romans, right? Those who didn't have the law of God, right? And so he's saying, look, this happened the way that you all know it happened. You were here. And he said, but there's something more to this that you need to know. He said, this Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God by God's own design and choice. Jesus was delivered up, and you crucified him. One of the sermon series I've been listening to is this one guy that gives a sermon series on this sermon alone, and it's five sermons long. Don't worry. Don't worry. I've already set my watch. I'm not going to go for five sermons worth, all right? I just want you to know there's a lot packed in here, and this verse is one verse that we could spend a long time unpacking. Because what this verse says is that it was God's design that Christ would be crucified, cursed, hung on a tree. And as we follow that promise throughout the Old Testament and its glorious revelation in Christ and understand it more, that Christ died for our sins. That it was at one time God's choice, His definite plan, and it was also at another time human's responsibility. You crucified him with the help of lawless men, as he, what he told those who were witnessing. And look, that is something that we have to hold in tension. And it's something not to be forgotten, but has to be held together and not separated. That we preach not just the life of Jesus, and isn't it interesting that he says that he was attested to by mighty works, wonders, and signs, didn't talk about his teaching. 
A lot of times we go, you know something, I'm fine with like the red letter Jesus. I kind of like that guy. But that's not the content of this proclamation. The content of the proclamation is his life and his death. And the third one is going to come out of verse 24 and his resurrection. God raised him up. Isn't it amazing how just in these three verses we see the actor in the life of Jesus is God himself, right? In verse 24, God raised him up, loosening the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. This is amazing. God is the one who raised Christ from the dead. Jesus is the one who defeated death the punishment that we all deserve for sin. And his being raised from the dead is proof that the pains of death could not hold him. They had to be loosened as God raised him from the dead. And Peter says, look, this is actually found in the Old Testament. And he says, for David says concerning him. And then he quotes Psalm 16. I saw the Lord before me, for he was at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will, will dwell in hope. Verse 27, this is it. Pay attention. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Peter turns there as Jesus himself had taught him that all of the law and the prophets point to him. And if you go, why is Peter doing that? You just got to keep reading. It's right here. Look, he says, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he was both died and he was buried. And his tomb is with us to this day in Jerusalem. He goes, we can all walk out and see where David has seen corruption. 1,200 years later, he's dust. That's all that's left of him in the ground. And he says, being a prophet, as David was a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, 2 Samuel 7, go back and read it this week, the promise that God gives to King David that one of his descendants will be on his throne forever and ever, David foreknew, it says in verse 31, and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, and did, and nor did his flesh see corruption. And then in verse 32, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Witnesses. We've seen it. The proclamation and the content of it is of Jesus' life, of his death, and now of his resurrection. And then the last is what follows. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the, from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he, Jesus, has poured out this day, has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. He's saying, look, what you are seeing and hearing in this pouring out of the Spirit, people speaking in your language, declaring the mighty works of God, it is because Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of the Father. He's been given the gift of the Spirit by the Father, and Jesus has poured it out. His Spirit, the Spirit 
of the now risen and reigning Christ poured out upon all the people. And Peter says, this is what you're seeing and hearing. And then he turns back to another psalm, Psalm 110. For David did not ascend into heaven. David's body's right here in the grave. But this is what David said. But he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This explanation of the content of the proclamation that is the church's, the reason the Spirit has been given, the content of Jesus' life, His death, His resurrection, and His ascension, seated at the right hand of God. There, verse 36, the Verizon mic drop, right? The commercial that you all know. Listen to what he said. Verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you have crucified. There is the content of the proclamation. Peter stands before this crowd of Israelites and he says, Jesus is Lord over you and you crucified him. That's a bold sermon, isn't it? <laughs> that sermon will stop you. Did you know that that pattern of the sermon, it can be found in almost every sermon that is in the book of Acts. In fact, the sermons make up nearly 25% of the book of Acts. If you were to read Paul's sermons and Peter's sermons and Stephen's sermons and the other sermons that are listed in the book of Acts, almost 25%. You think Luke is trying to tell us something? What's your takeaway? What do you walk away from this and you say, why then the need for such great power? Remember the power source that I described to you. The power source of the nuclear reactor. This unleashing of monumental, even catastrophic power. Why? Why such power needed? I want you to see that Christianity depends on witness. It depends on witness. Over and over in this passage, Peter has said, you have witnessed these things. We don't know anything about the past unless someone witnesses the past to us. And Christianity is propagated throughout time and history on the witness that has been borne by the apostles, written here in the Word of God and given to you and me. Now look, doesn't that seem a little fragile to you? Don't you think that Christ the King Church would grow in a little bit different way if every afternoon on Sunday at 4 o'clock we'd open the doors and we would just heal anybody that came by. We just go, hey, we're going to do some healing. If you're sick, come by. Everybody starts coming by. Everybody's healed. The mighty works of God, the wonders and the signs. And, and, and there's just healing every Sunday afternoon at 4. Let the church grow. And you go, that'd be fantastic. That is not God's design. Do you want to know what his design is? His design is that as the church proclaims 
This message of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension. That Jesus is declared Lord and King. That his church grows. I have just spoken to you words. How do those words plant in your heart and transform you by the unsurpassed power of the Holy Spirit poured out? The Spirit of the risen and reigning Christ. Here's the second thing that we learn in this. This pastor in England said this phrase and it stuck with me all week. Given opportunity, man will murder his maker. Whew. That's an amazing portion of this sermon, isn't it? How many times did Peter call out those who were there and said, you crucified him. This Jesus whom you crucified. And then in the very end, he said that God has made him Lord and King. This Jesus whom you crucified. There's this rapper that I like. I've told you about him before, Shayline. And, and he has this song. He says, were you there when they crucified my Lord? My Lord, were you there? Were you there? Were you there? Like the old spiritual. And in between, he says, were you there when they crucified my Lord? And you heard him say, I was there. I was there. I was there. I was there. Look, I love that guy. His theology is strong. But you were not there. You weren't there. These witnesses were there. But what we understand through them is that the depth of sin in the human heart is such that not only do we not want to proclaim who Jesus is, but given the opportunity, we as human beings would murder our maker. You got, that's a little rough, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's a little rough, but isn't it what happened? It's what happened. You know, I was with a group of guys this last weekend, and, and the question came up, and I don't know if it comes up for you as much as it does for me. I'm pretty confident I have a cross sign on my back, you know, and I walk in. You know, it's just part of partial of being a minister. And the question around the table was, you don't believe in God, do you? Right? And the one guy pipes up and he goes, you know, I, I guess I sort of believe in God, but I certainly don't believe that Jesus is my Savior. And the other guy turns and he looks right at me and he goes, I want you to know that I was raised as an atheist and I have become more staunch in my conviction that God doesn't exist. I recognize no God. Given the opportunity, we human beings would murder our maker why is the power of the Holy Spirit necessary in this proclamation? Because it's not that we just don't know what to say. It's that to be in a place to proclaim the name of Christ, we have to have new hearts. And you're all thinking about the song that Nathan wrote last month. Give me a new heart and pour out your new spirit within me. And the reality is that's what's been given to us that we would believe. Next to last, next to last, I promise. The proclamation, we bear witness to the events. We bear witness to Scripture. We say, I've read it in the Bible and I believe that. 
we hold on to the promises that are even there in Joel that says, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter preaches this and they go, what do we do? And he says, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. These are the conditions. Repent and be baptized. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. The amazing thing is that the church is called to proclaim these truths. Not just ministers. You want to know what happens in Acts 8? The church is dispersed. And everybody is fleeing persecution. Guess who doesn't flee anywhere? The apostles. They stay in Jerusalem. And it says that the rest of the church fled. And as they went, what did they do? They proclaimed Christ. And the church grew. Listen, you've got to listen to this sermon and go, that's not enough for a church to grow. It is by the power of the Spirit of the risen and reigning Christ. And the last thing that you need to know from this, why such power? Why power poured out over you? Because Jesus is Lord and King over you. This is big. Jesus is Lord and King over you. For us to obey Him, for us to submit to Him, we need the power of the Spirit of Christ in us, convincing us that this is real and true. This is the power that is promised to us. Peter says, repent and be baptized and receive, all of you, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the risen and the reigning Christ. Listen, one of the most dangerous prayers that you can pray is the Lord's Prayer. You know it, don't you? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done. Jesus is Lord over you. What is the hope and the glory? It is the way that Joel ends. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You guys, this power is not something that we just plug into, as if you plug into a hairdryer into a nuclear power plant. But this power is what has been poured out into our hearts that we might believe it and that our proclamation might bring new life, hope, and further power. I can't wait to look at this more with you. We're not going to do more today. Let's pray.